Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kendall Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Welcome back to the Azure Podcast. Today is the 4th of March on 2022, and we are recording episode number 415. Today, we're very excited that this is a special episode with our very special guest, Kathleen Midford to talk and celebrate International Women's Day. And on Teams with us, of course, we have our very special guest, Kathleen, as well as Suji and myself, Cynthia. And really just to start, Kathleen, can you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us what you do at Microsoft? Great, Cynthia and Sujit, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Yes, my name is Kathleen Mitford. I'm the Corporate Vice President of Azure Product Marketing. So I work very closely with our product teams, with our engineering teams, with our sales teams on what is the vision for Azure? What is the product strengths that we have? What is the value that we're delivering to our customers? And then how do we bring that to life in how we tell that story and how we go to market? Super excited to be here. I'm still relatively new with Microsoft. I joined uh, Microsoft at the end of, of May. Well, definitely first a warm welcome and we're excited for you to be on the Microsoft team. And before we dive into the more professional and technical aspects of what you do, we're all calling from home today. So curious from your perspective, what are some habits or some new things you've developed starting working from home? Oh, some habits or new things working from home, taking a walk in the afternoon, which I try to do. So my um, my team knows that if we're doing like a one-on-one, I will sometimes, you know, I got to watch it with the weather here in Washington, but I'll FaceTime as I walk around because even though I work out in the morning almost every day, I just wasn't getting in as many steps as going to the office. And just getting outside, or even if I do it from the the treadmill, it gives me a little pick-me-up energy in the afternoon uh, to keep me going for the rest of the day. Definitely. And um, I heard that you're a huge fan of chocolates. What are are your favorite chocolates? Or do you consume them in, like, truffles, drinks, ice cream? Okay, any and all chocolate. I am a huge dark chocolate fan. It is a little bit of a debate here in my household because my husband is British, so Cadbury chocolates. And I have two kids. I have a 10-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son. So my husband spends a huge amount of money on importing British chocolates to the house here. So the kids and I grew up in Pennsylvania and Pennsylvania Hershey's is, you know, in in Pennsylvania area. So every afternoon I have two Hershey's dark chocolates to keep me kind of like satisfied with my kind of sweet tooth. But there's always the debate between the household here on what's the best chocolate. 
But I do not discriminate. So whether it's pure chocolate, whether it's a chocolate martini, chocolate mousse is one of my favorite delightful desserts that I um, typically only make around Christmas time. But any and all chocolate. Yeah, I love those uh, Macintosh chocolates uh, from from the UK. Uh, I always get a tin every time I go there. Beautiful. We just finished our Christmas tin of British chocolates, so I'm happy that it made it so March. With chocolate mousse, I have to send you a recipe. There's one that's really easy to make, and it's delicious. And we try to make it around Christmas time, too, because that's when you have an extended amount of time to, like, stand there whipping. But if you have, like, a standing mixer, it shouldn't take that much time. I do have a standing mixer, so do please send over that recipe. <laughs> Will do. And... um. And really, the the motivation for us to invite you on this episode is really to talk and celebrate International Women's Day. Uh, right now, it is Women's Heritage Mo- History Month. Him- History Month, and um, we love we'd love to hear from your perspective and kind of your experience navigating the tech industry as a woman. How you've seen that has changed, and what are some of your vision on? what uh, this role or this um, perspective would continue to evolve. Yeah, great. And happy Women's History Month to everybody. Um, yeah, so I'll start a little bit with my career journey. Uh, many people know I started as a fashion designer. So I went to school, went to college for fashion design. So I didn't start in tech. And when you're in the fashion industry, there's a lot of women in the fashion industry. And I evolved from fashion um, into technology. I mean, I think I only spent five years or six years in fashion. So the majority of my career has been in in tech. And I'll never forget my first day going to work for a pure technology company. And I went in, I went for my first meeting and I was the only woman. And there was probably like 25 guys and me. And this feeling that came over me when I walked into the room, like I've never experienced that in a work environment. And um, and it was it was it was a a weird, you know, kind of I felt I felt um, I don't know, maybe like a little bit exposed because everybody was looking at me like, oh, wow, there's a woman in this technical in this technical meeting. Um, So, as I mentioned, I've spent now, you know, over 20 years in the technology industry in all different parts of technology, from leading engineering teams to product management teams, to partner teams, to um, to acquisition teams. And it has evolved, it has evolved. I'm so thrilled at Microsoft that um, it is very, very rare that I'm the only woman in a, in a meeting that is normally you know, a pretty good balance of, of women and men. And I'm happy to see that I have seen it evolve, um, evolve specifically over, I'd say, the last five to seven years with the focus on it. And a lot of it begins not when we enter the the work environment, but with education. And I think the focus that there's been on STEM, let's say, for the last 20 years in encouraging women and young, not just women, but young girls, that science, technology, engineering, that those are all careers that you can participate in in, has then had an impact on the number of women that we see entering uh, STEM-related fields. Now, part of the challenge that we have is that you're able to get women into the field, but the drop-off rate as you go up higher at higher levels increases. 
And I've spent a lot of time in my career in trying to understand what are some of the challenges specific to women in tech in technology? Because I do think it's a little bit different than in other um, fields out there. So, for example, in technology, the technology is always changing. So you need to be able to have the time to upskill yourselves to learn these, you know, to learn new, um, new to learn the new technology. But then often, you know, in the evening. Um, I don't know about, you know, the rest of you guys that have kids, but I've got homework, I've got bath time, I've got getting, you know, dinner ready. And, um, and my husband is a fantastic, fantastic partner. But I think some of that contributes to it, that women just don't have as much time or space. So you see, you know, women seem to, uh, to drop off higher as they go in their, in their career. So that's really been a focus for mine on the two ends as to how can we encourage more women to enter STEM? And then what can we do to keep them? What can we do to make sure there's a time and space when they're in their workday to learn the new skills that, um, that are required in the technology industry? How can we make sure that women have the confidence to show up, to use their voice, to have their opinion, um, to have their opinion heard? And then also to make sure that they never feel like they are the only one. And we all need to take a, um, we all have a role in that. You know, I remember for many years I've been advocating in different boards that I've been on, groups that I've been on, if I'm the only woman to say, hey, you know, this person, they'd be a great person to join this community um, so that we're continuing to put the, the spotlight on that. And I know I've been rambling on here, but I have one fun story for for you guys. I I, I remember this was about uh, four years ago where I went to a conference and I was keynoting it, and it was for a particular industry. And um, there were about 200 men there and me. So I did my keynote, and then you know they had a session for me at the end to ask questions. And I said, well, what I want to leave you with is when I look around this room, I'm the only woman. And you cannot tell me that in your companies, you do not have women doing the same position that you are. So I sure hope that when I come back here next year, that the mix has changed. And I went back the next year, and you know what? The mix changed. And at the cocktail hour that evening, I had so many people come up to me and say, thank you for raising the elephant in the room. Everybody's been thinking this. Nobody said anything, and you called us out on it. So, um, you know, so it was, it was great. Okay, I'll pause there because I'm rambling, and I'm sure you guys have a ton of questions. Yeah, uh, Kathleen, I was just curious. Uh, I mean, your uh, the way that you navigated your career from you know non-tech to tech is very interesting. I, I do find those give the best perspectives, you know, uh, from the colleagues of, that I have that also have taken a similar path. But I'm curious, when you came from non-tech to tech, from the fashion designing world to tech world, how did you navigate yourself in tech you know, and to finally find your way to where you are now? Right now, you're the CVP of Azure Marketing, uh, Product Marketing. So, you know, that that must have been an, an interesting way just to find, you know, how do you know uh, that you're new in, in tech? Like, how do you know where you want to go, you know? And I can't say that I've always known where I wanted to, to go. I've known where ultimately that I wanted a very senior leadership position in the technology industry. 
And I tried a lot of different things. Um, so I am a curious learner. And one thing that really helped me in technology is early in my career, I was working for a startup and the startup was um, moving some of their engineering from the US offshore to China. So I was extremely involved in establishing that development center in China. And I'm going to date myself, but as part of that, we had to be CMMI level five certified. I don't know if anybody knows what that means, but it was basically documenting the entire you know, development process. So because I was leading this process to get us the CMMI level five certification, I had to understand every part of the development process ago. This is years ago, so it's, you know, it, it's, it's changed. But that helped me understand, you know, what does development mean? What does quality assurance mean? What is customer success? What is product management? You know, what is product product ownership? And I know that there's different different terminology in different industries. What is product product marketing? So it gave me kind of like a roadmap of like what is the entire development process that I had to understand in levels of, of detail. So from then I took my first step to say, oh, I really want to be in product management, where that's where I got my entrance into the technology, the technology industry. And then after product management, I was like, oh, okay, well, as part of my uh, my goals, I want to lead a big team. Well, most companies have a lot more engineers than they do product managers. So I took a step into leading both product management and, and engineering. And I had enough of a technical background to be able to, to do that. Um, and how did I do that? Because, you know, I'm, I'm not an engineer. You know, I don't code except helping my kids with their, with their toys. But really, again, being a curious learner and in my spare time, yeah, I like to run. I run on, on either in the treadmill or outside, you know, a couple times a week, listening to audible books, taking classes um, in the evening or on the weekends. Now, quite frankly, a lot of that I did earlier in my career, you know, pre-children when I actually had the time uh, to to devote to it. Um, now it's hard for me to take class in the evening, but I do like to continue to keep myself skilled. So go to like a class that you go to immersive for like three days you know, or five days to be there and just to be completely focused on it. And then probably one of the most important things that has helped me navigate is talking to people that are in the role that I want to go into and talking to them and letting them know that, hey, I want to take a step towards this. And when you do that, you'll see that then they start to involve you in projects that are related to your current role, but dip into where you want to get into so that I could experience a little bit and make sure, hey, that's where I want to head. And then also that it gives me the visibility with a broader group so that when they have a role that's opened, it's like, oh, Kathleen's been working on things related to this. So, Sajid, I hope that answered your answered your question. It did. Thank you. Awesome. Um, hey, Kathleen, so nice to meet you. I apologize that I had to jump on a little bit later. I'm actually in a training this week. Um, because I recently segued into product management, actually. So the past three months or so, I've been in a new role and I've navigated a, a similar journey in that I had to kind of, I was very field facing and then migrated into more product and, and have gotten to see different steps in the life cycle. So um, that's definitely really relevant to me. 
I also love, I just want to call it, I love what you said about making sure you're not the only woman. I remember I had, I went to a women's conference at Microsoft a couple of years ago and there was a whole talk about being the first woman, but not the the only woman. And like, how do you set the table for other women to, to come behind you? And so I think Cynthia and myself both appreciate people who have been in the industry longer for us, who are charting the waters for what we can accomplish and where we can go. So just want to say thanks to that. Uh, I want to segue a little bit into your family life. So I, it, it's actually very uh, like relatable a little bit to me. So my sister actually is um, in the tech industry and works at Chick-fil-A corporate and basically oversees their entire kind of ordering platform, which is super cool. And she went through um, some struggles with infertility and actually is having her first baby in April. So I'm about to become an aunt and I'm so excited. I'm, I really am. Thank you. And um, I know for her, she, you know, she manages a lot of people and she has a lot on her plate. And I know as someone who hopefully eventually will have a family myself that, you know, I, I'm, I'm imagining that that's going to be a hard transition. And so I'm just kind of curious from your perspective, you know, what has that journey been like? How do you find the ability to be, uh, you know, managing the family and also working? Um, and I know I think that you're pretty transparent about your husband being a stay at home father, which is something that even like my sister and her husband have talked about potentially. So, like, I think that's awesome. And I just love to hear a little bit more about how you made that decision and just sort of what your work-life balance, you know, tends to be like. Yeah, great. Well, first of all, Kenzo, congratulations to your sister. That is such awesome <laughs> news and congratulations to you be becoming an aunt. Um, both of my children are also IVF babies. So I have a lot of special place in my, in my heart for other families that are having um, IVF, IVF babies. So how do I balance it? Um, ruthless priority. I mean, like, seriously, ruthless prioritization and delegation. And let me take a step back. When, before I had my, my daughter, you know, I would be in the office from 7.30 in the morning till 6, 6.30 at night and then get back on, online. And I had this panic when I was going out on maternity leave. Like, oh, my gosh, like, what's going to happen? You know, how is this going? You know, how are people going to adapt to, you know, me once I come back after after maternity leave? And I went back to work, you know, this is over 10 years ago. My daughter was, I think, nine weeks or 10 weeks. And I was, I breastfed her for the first year. So I had to leave the office by four o'clock at the latest to get home to make sure that she reached a certain feeding. And, you know, I was on uh, I wasn't on the executive team, but I was one level down from the executive team at my formal company. And a lot of my meetings were with the CEO and all the EVPs. And like, am I going to be able to tell the CEO? No. And guess what? Once you establish those boundaries that Kathleen is available from nine till four for detailed, you know, meetings. And if you need something after you can get her, but she's got a child. And it was very quick. It was very interesting to see how people adapted to the boundaries that were set. And, you know, I had really great relationships with the executive assistants. And whenever they needed a meeting that I was in, they'd say, oh, OK, well, we have to do that during um, during you know, whatever, nine to four, because Kathleen's not you know, going to be available at those other times. So that was really a good wake up call for me that you can set boundaries. And guess what? 
I didn't fall behind in my career during that that time. I thought that I wouldn't be able to make advancements. I actually, you know, went from being a senior vice president to an EVP, EVP, which was senior vice president, corporate vice president, DVP, you know, EVP. After my my children were 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 born, by setting those boundaries. Now, going back to how do I how do I manage it? It came to a point when my when when my daughter was born. My husband um, was not quite a stay-at-home dad, so he worked part-time with his own business, and then we had a nanny for the other uh, 50% of the time. When my son was born about seven years ago, now we have two children, you know, and an, and an infant. Um, so we made the decision that he would become a full-time stay-at-home dad. And, you know, even seven years ago, I'm not going to say it was taboo, but people, like, actually weren't that accepting of it. They were kind of like, well, what's wrong? You know, is your husband not successful and he has to stay at home? And that wasn't it at all. You know, it's a choice that we made for our family that dad's going to be at home and mom's going to be working. And, you know, part of it, and I apologize, the landscapers always show up at the perfect time. So they're blowing outside. Um, You know, at the time I was traveling uh, a lot. so So it worked for us. I was also very worried about what it would mean for my daughter and if she would feel odd that mom went to work and dad stayed stayed at home. And a colleague of mine, who I'm so good friends, friends with to this day, when I was pregnant with Victoria, he gave me some really great advice. He said, children know the normal that you set for them. The normal is the normal that you make for your family. So for my children, normal is mom goes to work and mom works and dad stays at home and dad, you know, takes care of the of the family. And uh, I just loved when my son, I still remember, you know how pictures pop up of your your memories. A picture popped up just a couple of days ago of my son pushing a shopping cart, one of those Melissa dog shopping carts with all of his Hess trucks in them, you know? So like my son played with baby dolls and, you know, doing the food shopping and the kitchen is still to this day one of his favorite things to do because, you know, we don't have girl responsibilities and boy responsibilities. You know, we have a responsibility as a family unit to do what's best for our family. So I hope that was helpful. Um, I can't say that I always have it right, you know, especially when leaning into a new uh, company working for Microsoft in a new role in leading the Azure business. You know, there's uh, a lot of stuff I'm still getting up to speed speed on. Um, so my my boundaries aren't always there, um, but it will get back there. You know, once I once I have been fully up to speed on the on the role. And, um, and the other thing that's been really helpful with me is setting expectations with my children. Okay, so setting the expectations up front, like my daughter has the day off today. So she came into me and she said, okay, mommy, can you take me to the playground this afternoon? And I said, I'm sorry, mommy is busy all day today until 4.30, except I have a half an hour break. So during that half an hour break, why don't we take a walk together? But like, that's just an example of, okay, I try to let my kids know at the beginning of the week, what nights mommy has dinners, you know, or if mommy has a late meeting, what nights, you know, I always let my husband know, but I also am pretty open. My kids are old enough now to understand that, okay, mommy's not going to be home for dinner, but mommy's going to have breakfast with us that morning instead. 
Wow. Th th thank you so much for sharing. And I, and I really resonate with the part where you said um, what example you said is like how your kids will perceive how families are supposed to be like or how gender roles are supposed to be like. So I grew up in a family where both my parents were working and they had like a pretty equal partnership. So I was very used to that. And like, I've never had a second thought of like, I shouldn't pursue my career and think about something else or staying at home. So really, really appreciate you for sharing that. Um, and kind of going into your last point of understanding the Azure business and then getting situated into your new role. What are some of the most surprising things you found about the Azure business? And what are some of your visions that you want to bring forward to Azure? Mm. Uh, let's see, what did I find surprising about the Azure business? Um, nothing really surprising, maybe just more, you know, I, I was a partner. So what brought me to uh, to Microsoft is I was, um, I worked at a company called PTC, which is a big partner of theirs. You know, not just they run their applications on Azure, but deeply in, in IoT. So I was pretty familiar with Azure. Um, a surprise was the number of services that we, and also the number of products. So I'd say that probably was the biggest surprise for me because I thought Azure, oh, I know Azure. But then really once you like, you know, peel back the onion and here, you know, at Azure, we look at things by how we group them into customer solution areas. And Azure consists of the infrastructure, it consists of digital and application, and it consists of data and AI. And then we also have, you know, security as, as part of that as well. So I would say some of the, the uh, I guess maybe like surprise was, oh my gosh, there's a lot of a lot of products there. And then there's a lot of products in there that are just massive that would be businesses within within themselves. So that was, um, I thought it was unknown. You know, I wasn't, I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't know that, but then really dig, digging into that. So then talking about getting up to speed, it's, you know, really trying to understand that complete portfolio and how that complete portfolio comes together to deliver value to our, our customers. You know, not a surprise, but that was part of and that is part of my my learning journey here, because when you think about a customer and how a customer buys Azure, they don't buy by Microsoft's customer solution areas. They buy by their um, problem that they're trying to solve, which is probably a combination of, you know, what we're doing on infrastructure, bringing the data together, combining that data with how they're they're building their applications. Does that answer your question, Cynthia? Yeah, and yeah. also uh, on the oh. topic of, oh, sorry, uh, Kendall, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, that's one thing that I think is is something that we as Azure can continue to do better is, like, how do we really bring scenario-based solutions to our customers that cover end-to-end -end problems versus, you know, we have so many products that it's like, how do I bring all these together, right? Like, that's one of the things I've been focused on in this training this week is like, how do we provide customers with really good end-to-end -end experiences across our platform? And I love that that's a focus, at least to me, in all of these product groups, like a lot of them are talking about how do we continue to integrate more deeply? How do we provide scenario-based solutions? So, I um I'm totally with you on that. I feel like even as a as someone who's learning Azure, it can be so overwhelming, just like the plethora of things that we provide. How do we navigate this? Like, um, so yeah, I agree on that. 
You know, Kathleen, one of the things uh, I see a lot with customers these days, I'm sure you have too, is they're all talking about uh, going cloud native or digital native. Uh, those are the terms we use. As a matter of fact, just a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago, we had uh, Stephen Kaufman, one of the, our CSAs, that talked about uh, cloud native on Azure. You know, he kind of gave us a technical landscape for that. But I'm just curious from, uh, you know, from a, a marketing uh, perspective, how are we reaching out to our customers with the correct messaging regarding how uh, Microsoft can help them get along this journey of getting to where they want to go, right, into big, becoming a, a purely digital company, for example? Excellent question, Sajid. And, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to one of our partners a couple of weeks ago, um, one of our partners, and I used the term digital native. And uh, you know, I said to him, I said, we consider you to be a digital native. And he said, what's a digital native? What does that mean? So, you know, which was really, I'm not going to say it was eye-opening for me, but it brought front and center that, like you mentioned, customer scenarios. We have to talk to customers in the language that they use. And I'm going to separate out, you know, digital native or cloud native into two different groups. We have companies that are born digital, okay? So startups, um, you know, that then evolve to become unicorns and everything that they're doing or presumably everything they're doing is in the cloud. You know, so if we talk to them about your digital transformation, you know, they're going to say, what digital transformation? You know, I'm, I'm I'm already, you know, I was I was born, I was born digital. You know, so we really talk to them not about, you know, migrating and modernizing, but how do they build cloud native applications and how can they use our tools to differentiate their offerings? Now that I'm gonna talk about, you know, a set of customers that are established customers that actually do need to transform. And they separate into different groups. They're enterprises, they're partners, they're large customers, they're small customers. And they have to have, they have the balance of needing to build these new cloud native applications because they know that's where you know, the industry is going. But they also have to take their applications that are on premise and migrate them to the cloud and modernize them at the same time. So with the team and my team, you know, working very deeply with our engineering team has been really focused on is let's make sure we're having the right conversation with the right customer. Let's not confuse a customer that's born in the cloud with a customer that needs to um, needs to modernize their their digital state. So um, hopefully that answered the question, but really trying by market segment to make sure that we understand what they're trying to do. We bring the right solutions to solve their problem. That's a very good distinction. I never thought of that before. Thank you for clarifying that. So Kathleen, I, I wanted to ask you, I know we're, we're running up on time here. So I, I'm just curious if you were talking to yourself as you started in the tech industry and you were, you know, you were getting started and you could give yourself one piece of advice um, or just one thing that maybe you would say like would motivate you to keep going in times when it was maybe challenging or you didn't know if you would be successful. I'd be curious what that would be. And then I know Cynthia also was curious about that picture behind you. So I want to make sure that we ask about that, too. <laughs> OK, great. Well, both of those are great. So if I could go back to myself 20 years ago, I would tell myself to use my voice more often. OK. And where my career really started to accelerate 
is when I took the confidence in the knowledge that I had of, you know, the businesses I were working on, and I had the confidence in how I presented myself. And I'd say 20 years ago, even though I knew the answers, I'd be like, well, I'm not the most senior person in the room. I shouldn't be having that conversation. Let me let the executives have that conversation and I'll support my executives to make sure they have the right answer. Okay. And well, that is your job is to support your team. But I always look at it that if somebody's invited to a meeting, they're invited because we want to hear their voice. So that would have been the one thing that if I could go back 20 years that I would have, you know, used my voice more often. Now, this picture let me grab this picture. I love this. So first, I'm going to hopefully you can you can see that picture. This is a great picture for Women's History Month. And it says Wonder Woman, always be yourself unless you can be Wonder Woman, then always be Wonder Woman. And the reason why I have this picture, actually, one of my good friends, who used to be the chief people officer at PTC, had this picture. So I kind of copied it for her. So I'm going to give her some some credit for that is you don't always have a good day. And, you know, I'm just like everybody else. I have good days, not bad days. And there are some days when maybe I don't have the confidence in myself, but I should. And I turn around and I look at this picture and I'm like, you got this. You go, girl, you got this. So that's kind of my little inspirational for inspiration for for days when I when I need a little inspiration uh, and to boost myself up. Wow, Kathleen. Yeah, thank you so much for that inspiration. Now we have something to look forward to every day. We'll probably all have to print one ourselves and put it (laughs) behind us. But but Uh, yeah, really. Sorry, Cynthia. I was just going to say, just for the for the for the audience that uh, is going to listen to this, that was a picture uh, of Wonder Woman itself, right, uh, on on it, and then there was some wording on it. I just wanted to make sure that the people who are not on YouTube (laughs) understand what we were looking at. See, see what you do, Sajid, is you tell them if you want to see it, you'll have to watch it on watch YouTube. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Subscribe to our channel. Right? <laughs> oh, sorry. Well, I want to thank you guys for having me. Thank you. You know, I, we were saying at the beginning that I think that this is going to be the best meeting of my day. And it absolutely has been. I so enjoyed getting to chat with each of, with each of you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.